0: All right, Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 1, I am going to endeavor to try to not be as long-winded as I am on Sunday mornings, um, so it's probably going to take us a little bit longer to go through Daniel than normally, especially these first these first couple of, of messages, lessons, um, because there's going to be this evening, there will be some more historical background. <clears throat> A couple of weeks ago, um, we looked at some themes that we're going to see throughout the book of Daniel um, and lessons that we can learn. And you will hear me repeating those things that we are to be encouraged by God's word in the midst of suffering and trials. And uh, and really and truly, the Christian life is marked by those very things. So. Um, Let's go to Lord in prayer, and then we'll look at a couple of verses, and then uh, I'll try to keep it to about 30 minutes, hopefully. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day you've given us. Lord, we thank you for this time together. I pray, Father, you'd give us understanding of your word, and Lord, that you would encourage us, um, even in the days that we live in, as we see things that perplex us, we see things that would greatly discourage us, um, but Lord, these things are of no surprise to you, um, and Lord, uh, we uh, we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you, and Lord, we would not be uh, consumed about the things that we see about us. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> what chapter? I'm sorry, chapter 1, Daniel 1. Okay. Daniel 1. I'm going to make a copy of my notes that I have. it's an outline and and give it to y'all or make it available on Sunday um, and that way y'all can have it and it, it'll be what i'm what I'm going we'll go over for the next couple of weeks verse one in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God that's Nebuchadnezzar's God and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Um, so a couple of weeks ago I asked the question when you think of the book of Daniel what do you think of and there was ...unanimous consent that we generally think of the lion's den or um, the, uh, the fiery furnace. Sometimes, probably rarely, do we really think about Daniel being a, um, a book regarding end times, a, a, a book regarding uh, eschatology, uh, the study of end times. Um, it is a history book we talked about. Um, and, and one of the... Daniel was one of the last books that was admitted into the canon of Scripture. And actually, there were scholars that discredited it to a degree because it was so accurate about some of its its prophecies um, that they thought it was written around the time that these prophecies took place. And we'll, we'll get into more of that uh, in later chapters. There were some things with... Antiochus Epiphanes and and some others uh, regarding uh, some things that took place. And so uh, we will see its accuracy, and as we walk through it, it will be very clearly uh, that it is the inspired Word of God. In the Hebrew Bible, Daniel is not listed with the other prophetical books um, as it is in our English translation. If you walk through, if you take your Bible that you have before you and you look at it, you'll see... The first five books of the Bible are the Pentateuch, and then it goes into, you know, the Judges and Joshua and the Judges and Kings, um, and it's laid out in a particular order. And then you get through the wisdom literature of Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, and then you begin the uh, the section of the prophets that covers the rest of the Old Testament. Um, Daniel in the Hebrew Bible is not included in the prophets; it's included. Um. It, it, well, it's it's a uh, it's in, it's not included with the other. I'm sorry, prophetical books um, as it is in our English translation. And the reason is is because um, it's known as apocalyptic literature. That's that Revelation was written with, and ap- apocalyptic literature is highly symbolic. Um, that's why when, as we'll see in Daniel, and then we'll see in Revelation when we start in that you have to be very careful about interpreting these symbols. Um, these symbols do not mean something for us today that they didn't mean for the original audience. An example, um, quickly, about Revelation. Back in the 70s, I think it was, maybe maybe early 80s, Hal Lindsey wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. Y'all heard of that? Well, in the book, he likens the... The dragon flies with the face of a man and that in that revelation two black helicopters. Well, obviously, that technology was not when John wrote this. So there's no way that it can mean that. Um, and and we'll, we'll get more of that when we get to that point. But we'll see some of it in Daniel as well. So the apocalyptic literature is its own genre of literature. Um, and it's highly symbolic. Um, you see numbers, and I think we started seeing some of that in when we started going through Revelation um, and then looked at the churches. You, you'll see numbers like 12, 3, 10, 7, and those numbers do have a significance. Six is the number of man. Um, seven, the number of completion. Ten is the number of completion. Twelve is a number of fulfillment. And so when we look at those things, we have to interpret that in light of what they would have meant in in those days. And so it gets real tricky when you start looking at different uh, genres of literature like this, in particular um, apocalyptic literature. And so it's highly symbolic. Um, uh, We'll we'll see some of that in in Daniel. Like the book of Revelation, uh, the visionary sections of Daniel contain God's picture book. Um, and, and we should read and expound it as though God is saying, come and see. What is Revelation? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling, the uncovering of Jesus Christ. And it's showing, really, Revelation is showing God's plan um, for, for the church. Um, and Daniel is going is to open some things up for us. And it's God basically saying, come and see what I'm showing you. Now, with Daniel, um, in chapter 12, he gets to a point he says, all right, Daniel, close the book up. It's over with. I'm not giving you any more vision, paraphrasing here. Close the book up. And oddly enough is that Revelation kind of picks up where Daniel left off. So, Daniel's told to close the book, seal the book. We're not going to continue on. And then John says, hey, here's the revelation of Jesus Christ. I was on the Isle of Patmos. And so, it's uh, We'll see the connection there when we get to it. Um, as we dig into these visions of Daniel that start in chapter 7, um, we need to understand that Daniel didn't really understand what he was looking at. He didn't understand the visions that were coming to him. Um, but we have... We have the blessing of what's called progressive revelation that as time has gone on and more information, if you will, and knowledge has been accumulated in the, in the New Testament uh, books, we have a, a picture of what Daniel was shown and we have more understanding um, of that. And, and even in Daniel chapter 12, verse 8, it states, And I heard, but understood not. Then said, "Oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And that's one of the questions that we will answer because that was asking Daniel 12 as we get there. When is the end? When will all these things that's given in Daniel 12 come to pass? When will they take place? Sinclair Ferguson in his commentary states this. How then could uh, could Daniel benefit from these visions? He's getting these visions. How could he benefit from that? How is it you can have a dream in this vision and benefit from it Apparently, he was able to see the various portrayals of God's sovereignty woven into the tapestry of his visions. He did not need to understand fully the details in order to see and hear the encouragement God wanted to give him. And that's the case for us today, that there may be some things that we don't quite fully understand, that there may be some things that we just can't really grasp. However... We can understand that God is in charge, God is over all these things, and we can be encouraged knowing that it may look to us as though the world is falling apart, but understand there is a God behind the scenes that is um, bringing all things to its uh, decreed end already. If you how many of you've read through Daniel before? Anybody ever read through Daniel? Wow, that's pretty interesting. I would encourage you to read through it. Um, just take a chapter a day and read through it to, uh, to, to get an idea of where we're going. Um, and even I, I would like to have some time at the end for us to have a, a few questions and see maybe what kind of questions y'all have. As you read through um, Daniel, you'll see what's called progressive parallelism. It is a style of presentation in which the author takes from beginning to the end of a sequence of events, and then returns to the beginning of that of those events in order to see, and here I'm sorry, uh, to return to them again this time in different terms or from another perspective. So it, it would be like me telling you a story and giving you some detail, and then telling you the same story from a different angle with different details. Um, And really and truly, that's what the Bible is. We see that in the Bible throughout that. You'll see, um, in particular in Revelation versus Daniel, is that you will see some things revealed in Revelation that was not revealed in Daniel. And so that's that's for your information is called for progressive parallelism. Now, what does the message of Daniel bring? It brings forth both counsel and encouragement. Understand that if we believe that all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for us, then we have to look at a book in particular like Daniel and come to the conclusion that even though we may not understand all of it at this point, it is meant for our encouragement. It's meant for our counsel, as we'll see with... Uh, with Daniel uh, next, not next week, but the week after, um, with uh, when he first was brought into captivity, um, the the temptation there to give in to the culture, to assimilate into this new culture, and he and his friends make a stand on the truth that they had been taught uh, by their parents, um, and they didn't defile themselves with a portion of the king's meat, and I'll get more into that as we look at this. So. We find both God's counsel and His encouragement, and the view of the history of the church is that it will always be marked by trial and suffering. We see this in Israel being a picture of the church in the Old Testament. They are brought into captivity, um, and Israel specifically was brought into captivity because they failed to obey God, as we'll see here in a moment. And, uh, but we get a picture of the church in the Old Testament as always being under some sort of turmoil, some sort of suffering. It's marked by trial and suffering. Um, as opposed to some of the popular preachers uh, today, This, we're not looking for our best life now. I realize and I understand we want to have a comfortable life. I, I, I totally understand that. But this life is not the end for us. And, and the truth is, is, if you're looking for heaven on earth now, that's not a good sign. That, that's not a good sign that you do not long for a heavenly, a, a more heavenly country. So Daniel himself was a man who felt the force of the kingdom of darkness and stood in the evil day. Now we can associate with Daniel because there is wickedness all around us. Um, I, I mean, just look at all the things that's going on in our culture, all the things that's going on in and politics, and you can take your pick. And just the wickedness—it's—I it, it, I mean, take for instance, just recently, all of the uh, all of the stuff that's going on with the sex scandals, with the different news agencies, and just—you don't remember? I don't remember hearing about stuff like that, right? I mean, it, and it was—it's almost like some of it's trying to be swept under the rug. So um, w- we we see a world that is full of darkness and full of wickedness. Um, and and we ought to long more and more for, for heaven. I mean, you know, the situation that we have is there's everything, things that are good is being called evil, and thing that's evil being is being called good. Right? I mean, it, it's it's getting to a point, and I've said this before. For our church, we will probably not see it as as quick as other churches will. Um, For instance, if you you take a church that's being faithful to the Scripture and they're preaching on what is biblical sexuality, a man and woman come together, they get married, God created two, you know, male and female. He didn't create um, a a third gender. He didn't create a male to become a female or a female to become a male. He created um, Brian to be a male. He's given me everything that that would, would indicate that I'm a male. And the same thing. Um, with females, and, and so we have a world where that gets twisted. Where if you, uh, we were just talking. I, I got sent a picture today, of, and this was in Gainesville. This wasn't down in the Metroplex. This is right next door to us. This woman in Tractor Supply dressed up like a cat. She had a furry tail that was, I guess, attached to her pants, and had some ears, and, and it's. It's called. I guess I learned something new tonight. the kids were saying they're called furries. I mean, how do you identify as an animal? You walk around saying meow and, and things of that nature. So, what we see the wickedness around us, and and it ought to, it, it ought to just make us pray uh, more earnestly. Um, Lord, come quickly. So as we move forward in Daniel, keep this thought in mind. Daniel gives the Christian hope in an age where there seems. That all hope is lost. I mean, think what Daniel is going through. They they had brought been brought into captivity. Um, they did have the advantage of being nobles in in the uh, in in Jerusalem, and they were brought into the king's palace, and they were given the best to eat, which they did not. But many of the uh, of the people of the Israelites, um, they were uh, they were under some form of oppression. So. Daniel gives the Christian; he gives us hope in an age where there seems that all hope is lost, and certainly we can we can relate to that. And for the Christian, we know that glory awaits us, though we endure suffering um, for a season. As a matter of fact, Paul in uh, Romans eight: for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, what Paul's saying is even the creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. That's those whom God will call effectually by the gospel. Even the the creation is longing for that. Why? Because it's going to be burnt up and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that will be made. Okay, so as we're looking at Daniel, just to kind of give us some historical background and give us some understanding of, of where Daniel is at. If you you don't have to turn there, and if, if you want to write this down, you can go look at it. Um, G- Genesis 12 is the birth of a new nation, right? That God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. Um, he sets him apart to be a people. Um, we know that, that Abraham eventually becomes Israel um, and the whole nation there, and so God calls him out. So there's a a nation that that God has called out of this world, symbolic of the church whom God has called out of the world. Uh, We're in in the world. We're not of the world. And uh, he gives him eventually, um, you start to see their, pardon the expression, religion religion form with the priest and the law and things of that nature. And so... um, this new nation forms, and one of the, one of the uh, laws that they are given is the law of Sabbaths, um, right? There's the Sabbath day. He said, remember the Sabbath day to make it holy. And in Leviticus 25, he tells them that when you go into the land, um, basically farm it for six years and then let it rest on the seventh year. Now, the reason for that was for Israel to trust God, that he would provide for them. Right, that they don't don't just get all everything you can out of the land. I want you to trust me, Um, and so for four hundred and ninety years they did not do that. They they just extracted everything they could out of the land, and so their captivity into uh, Babylon is is for that purpose. They were um, we know they were held in in Egypt captive for four hundred years. Um, Joseph uh, was sold into slavery um, by his brothers and and what a picture that God, you want to talk about God being in control, that Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery through uh, some setbacks and things of that nature. Joseph becomes, what, second in command in all of Egypt and uh, he is able to, to save his brothers um, and his father, they are brought into Egypt. And then that's what eventually leads them into captivity. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, it says that there arose another Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. And so he did not know the story of Israel, and he began to use them as slaves. And then we know the story of the Exodus, that Moses led them out by a series of plagues um, that was brought upon Egypt, Um they, he eventually he eventually let them go. Uh, they cross the Red Sea, a miraculous event. Um, they get over on the Red Sea, the Red Sea closes in on the Egyptians, and then they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. And there were some people, uh, we know the, the story, the song we sang in Sunday School, um, you know, 12 spies went to Canaan, 10 were bad, two were good, uh, and, and there were two. Uh, or ten that prophesied didn't prophesy, but spoke against what God, God said. I'm going to give you this land. This, I've, I've promised you this land. I'm going to give it to you. They go in, and and uh, they they don't. They discourage uh, Moses from going in, and so they're left wandering around in the wilderness until they, that generation dies off. In that whole time of wandering in the wilderness, they received God's laws and instructions concerning the tabernacle, the sacrifices, and the priesthood. Um, that's where they went. Moses went up on Mount Sinai, received the, the tables of stone with the Ten Commandments. Comes down, Aaron has made a golden calf. They're worshiping, they were using the golden calf to worship God. And then uh, Moses breaks those stones, goes back on top of the mountain, and God gives him some more. Um, Joshua then, after Moses dies off, Joshua is brought to lead Israel into the promised land um, that was conquered and divided between the twelve tribes. Now, something that happened with Joshua that um, or, or didn't happen with Joshua is he did not appoint or seek the Lord's face in appointing someone to take uh, leadership over Israel. Over Israel, um, at the end of Moses' life, um, there was uh, he. He sought the Lord's counsel. It was appointed that Joshua would take and lead, um, and then in uh, oh, I can't remember where I put it, but uh, I think it was in the end of uh, or the beginning of Judges that every man did that which was right in his own eye, and and so because Joshua didn't leave that leader to, to, to govern or, or guide uh, Egypt or Israel, I'm sorry. As Moses did, um, every man did that which was right in his own eye. And so God's response to that was judges. And through those series of judges, they, they, uh, these were men whom God raised up to deliver the nation from successive conquerors. You would end up with a good judge and then a bad judge, maybe a few bad judges and then a good judge. Uh, countries would take Israel and the judge would deliver them. The most prominent of those would probably be Samson um, who delivered them out of the hand of the Philistines. Um, you know the story, his strength was in his hair. Hair was cut by Delilah. He, uh, his eyes are poked out and then he uh, topples those, that, that, uh, that building on top of all of the Philistines. And then from Judges, we move into the nation being ruled by kings. And, and, and Israel, again, said, we want to be like these other nations. We want a king. And so God gives them Saul. Um, Saul was then followed by David, Solomon, and Rehoboam, all who ruled over a united kingdom. And this is where things get tricky, is that the kingdom gets divided. Uh, it's the northern kingdom, which would be the ten tribes of, of Israel and Samaria, and then the southern kingdom, which would be Jude, the two tribes of Judah, and its, uh, its capital would be Jerusalem. Now throughout the, New, the Old Testament, we see that God judges the northern kingdom because there was no godly monarch. And, and that's interesting as well as you read through Samuel and Kings and Chronicles and even through the prophets that there are kings that would do right, that which was right in, in, in God's eyes. And actually, it's funny because when a king would do that, which was right, it was always likened to David. Um, and then, uh, these, so these kings, there was uh, Judah, was, I'm sorry, not Judah, but the northern kingdom was judged because there was no godly monarch. And then the nation of Judah were the descendants of David. That's the significance there. And though they had some godly monarchs, there are still increasing apostasy. Again, I've talked about uh, this... Uh, uh, this idea of, of, synerg- uh, of uh, synergism, bringing two, um, that's not the right word. I can't think of the right word right now. But anyway, bringing two religions together to form one. Um, Jehoiakim ascends the throne. His reign leads to even more idolatry. Uh, they put up groves. They have statues to Baal, altars to Baal and all that. And so after over 400 years of the Jews constantly rebelling against God, about 490, following after idols, God's hand of judgment finally comes down in the form of Nebuchadnezzar. Now this is in in part due to the uh, Sabbath that I mentioned a while ago, these 490 years. And so what we see in the book of Daniel, I mentioned this the first week we were were in this, Um, what we see in the book of Daniel is that God uses the ungodly, to judge his people, and then turns around and judges the ungodly. Um, we'll see that. And so I'm going to close right here because we got so much more to look at and get through. And I want to give you three three things to consider as we uh, as as we close out tonight. Um, and this is a theme that we will constantly see and constantly get repeated over and over and over in Daniel. Is that God is sovereign and he does what gets him the most glory. If punishing his people by the hands of an ungodly um, king gets him glory and delivering those people, then that's what God's going to do. Also in the book of Daniel, um, I believe Nebuchadnezzar is converted when he is sent out into the field, he's like an animal. Um, he comes back and he, and he gives all credit and glory to God. It says The Bible says in, in chapter 4, end of chapter 4, that he extols um, the, the God of, of creation. Um, and so I think we see a, an instance where God converts the, an ungodly king. And you think about that. That God brought... It, he, didn't, or he didn't make Israel disobey him, but God used their sin... To get them to Babylon that he would humble Nebuchadnezzar and bring him into the kingdom. Think about what think about just circumstances of your life and that brought you to the point that you heard the gospel. And when I say heard, you heard the gospel and you responded in faith and repentance. Now think about all those events and what led to that point, and you have to say, God done that. God orchestrated all that. I just I could give you stories in my life of that. And so we get this picture, and that gives us great comfort that God is sovereign. Because if God is not sovereign in this world, things are randomly happening in this world for no apparent reason at all. And that's a scary thought to take into consideration. Secondly, God is long-suffering. 490 years Israel rebelled against God. He would have been just the very first. He would have been just at Mount Sinai when they had Aaron make that golden calf. He would have been just in destroying them at that moment. Yet God, in his long suffering, and we see that in our life too, right? That we get by with things and we get by with things, and God will lovingly bring us back to him. So God is long suffering. Thirdly, God will judge His people. You can rest assured that. We've got here in, in, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, uh, don't despise the chastening of God. Why? It, it's for our purpose or for our benefit. Job 5.17. Let's look at that real quick and then we'll, we'll close out. I think sometimes we have this picture that God's all loving and he doesn't judge and he does judge us. I mean, we could. I mean, some of you may have some, some stories where, where you weren't faithful to God as you should have been and there were some things that happened and the light goes off and you're like, well, I know what's going on. I know what the cause of this is. Job chapter 5 verse 17. Um, this is Eliphaz, one of Job's friends, bringing great counsel and wisdom to him. Um, I kind of said that tongue-in-cheek because these guys thought they knew everything. Look at verse 17. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Happy is the man whom God corrects. Now, I can remember quite often, more times than I care to admit, that I got corrected by my father or by my mother. I was not a happy camper when that took place. I was kind of in some pain, um, for one, But I wasn't happy that that, that I got corrected. But the Bible says happy is the man whom God corrects. Why? Because he's conforming us to the image of Christ. Because he is making us a holy people. He, He is making us a sanctified and consecrated people for his service goes on to say, Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Now, we'll look at more of that when we get into Hebrews chapter 12. But we should not despise those things when we see them take place in our life. So as we move through Daniel, um, let's be comforted by the fact that though we see things going on around us that, that, that cause us great grief, that we can rest assured that God is working all things after the counsel of His own will.